0: Hello everyone and welcome to the second episode of Quiet On Set, the show where every week we go behind the scenes of the industry and learn what it takes to create a film. Quiet On Set, satisfying your backstage blockbuster quench. I'm your host, Violet Garcia. On air with me today is a well-known creative who I am very excited to introduce. He's dabbled in a little bit of everything from producing for Netflix to directing his own documentary. Let's go ahead and give a warm welcome to Paul Fleschner. How are you doing today?
1: Doing well how
0: are you violet i'm good all right let's go ahead and dive in from the beginning so you're actually not an la native i've learned that you grew up in indiana
1: i did i'm a hoosier Indiana.
0: (laughs) very neat so i heard in high school you even used to rent out theaters to screen your own films. so i just have to ask what sparked your love for cinema like what was the catalyst for you
1: what comes to? I mean, I, I grew up watching movies like like, a, like many people, but uh, I have a few super memorable experiences. One is in the fourth grade. It sounds odd, but McDonald's in their drive-throughs were selling, or it was like part of their food. They were giving out movies, and it was VHS tapes. So I got. I remember getting all three Indiana Jones movies <laughs> from McDonald's drive thru in the fourth grade. And for whatever reason, you know, I got, I love Snickers candy bars. So I f- would freeze Snickers candy bars and I would take a frozen Snickers out and I would watch Indiana Jones movies after school. Um, I'm surprised I didn't break any teeth from the Snickers, but I have very fond memories of, you know, really getting into Indiana Jones, um, at that time, which was great. Spielberg's a fantastic filmmaker. Those are, you know, just landmark popcorn cinema, great entertainment movies. Um and then uh I there is a movie called Baby Secret of the Lost Legend. Now this is very odd. You'd have to look it up online, but it was a kind of an animatronic dinosaur movie. I think it was made by Disney. Um and that was the very first VHS movie that my family got, because I remember we got a VHS deck when they were, you know, kind of new. And uh this definitely would have been in the eighties and and that Believe it, the, the movie itself cost around $100 back then because uh, they were just, it was such new technology. So, yeah, just, you know, love watching movies uh, from an early age.
0: That McDonald's story was definitely fun. You know, nowadays you just get the cheap little plastic toys or stuffed animals. I love that. So, yeah. um, following, what introduced you to the world of filmmaking at such a young age? You know, if you were creating your own um, short movies in high school, even.
1: Uh, my mother always encouraged creativity. Uh, She liked poetry, she liked reading. Um, Well, both my parents encouraged reading. I remember reading The Hobbit at a pretty early age and I got exposed to all of the Narnia series in the fourth grade, I had a teacher. So it wasn't just filmmaking, it was kind of the love of storytelling, the love of being immersed in another another world uh, that I was drawn to pretty quickly. And movie making, was oddly about what do I wanna be when I grow up? I mean, I, I, I loved Star Wars starting in kind of the eighth grade. I broke my arm and so I was not able to play basketball. For the season in the eighth grade, I remember going through the bookstore, like looking for some books to read because I couldn't participate in basketball practice and I came across a Star Wars novel. And it really pushed me down this journey of looking at the Lucasfilm, you know, books about how the Star Wars movies were made, And uh, then in the ninth grade, we had an assignment for my English class to write a paper about one of these, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like really put, you put some thought into what would you really love to be if you could be anything. And I remember I started writing the paper about wanting to be something else. I think it was, oh, I want to be a doctor or a neuroscientist or something that, you know, probably sounded smart to me. (laughs) Who knows why I was deciding I wanted to be that. But I was listening to Star Wars music. I think I was probably listening to Princess Leia's theme. I think it was probably something from Empire Strikes Back or or Star Wars, A New Hope. And I just had this kind of aha, eureka moment. I'll lay on the floor of my bedroom in the ninth grade, which is I want to make movies. This is what I want to do. And so I finished that paper and turned it in and also shared it with my parents. You know, I wanted them to be aware that I decided I was going to be a filmmaker. And they, they didn't say no. They didn't say, this is crazy. They were always about, you, like, if you try to set your mind for something and pursue it, anything's possible. Um, and and then that started, started the journey.
0: That's so wonderful that your parents were so supportive. And I love that Star Wars is such a prominent part of your life. We'll touch back on your love for that later. Um, so after high school, you attended Duke University. And you studied writing there for a bit and eventually graduated with your bachelor's. So how would you say going to university ended up supporting you throughout your career?
1: Well, my journey to university, I think, actually started also when I was a freshman in high school, because back to Star Wars, I, I wrote George Lucas a letter, like I'm sure many young, hopeful filmmakers did. If I had, one's going to be a filmmaker. And beautifully i got a response i got a response i got an email from lucasfilm uh which you know being in indiana getting uh, something in the mail that says from Lucasfilm Limited was like oh my god it's a real company there's actually people that work there and uh, i opened the letter and it was a letter from a secretary her name was ann merrifield and uh, she said you know george is away writing the star wars prequels at that point he was writing episodes one two and three starting with the phantom menace but we got your letter and here's some advice. And it was very grounded, practical advice. It was start, if you're interested in this, there's no, nothing like experience. So start making films with your friends, you know, right now, pick up a camera and start telling stories. And then it was also, you know, study the humanities, study the liberal arts, study, you know, culture, civilization, literature, you know, go to school to study storytelling. Um, and so that ultimately prompted my journey towards doing that, you know, going and I'd actually designed my own major at Duke under the wonderful writer, it was in the English department, uh, Reynolds Price. And uh, so I, I tried to follow George's advice to the letter. <laughs> um,
0: that's, that's great that they even gave you a response back. Was it from, it was somebody who worked in his office there or one of his? Yeah, um, oh, okay. yeah, it was. Oh. Yeah. That's so sweet. So back at Duke, you were um, involved in their student production company, Free Water Productions. Is that right?
1: You really have done your homework.
0: Yeah, (laughs) I've got about three pages of research. I would hope so. So um, why don't you give me a bit of an overview on that? What types of projects did you work on there?
1: Um, Duke was very supportive and they they had some film grants available. And uh, before Duke, I had taken one year off. I deferred matriculation for a year and done a 35 millimeter film in Chicago. Uh, the closest kind of big, big city, there is Indianapolis, but that was the biggest super metropolitan city near uh, where I grew up in Indiana, in Terre Haute. And so I did a 35 millimeter short in Chicago. Again, in this case, following the lead of Steven Spielberg, who had also made a 35 millimeter film called Amblin uh, in his, or around the same age, I think he was 19 or 20. And, uh, and then I wanted to do more at Duke, so they gave me a grant and I was able to get Panavision Wilmington, because Screen Gym Studios is in Wilmington, to, uh, allow me to get a 35 millimeter camera package at no charge. I did that twice during Duke. They were able to do that both my freshman and my senior year. And I had to then find a cinematographer that was able to, you know, do how to use 35 millimeter and a first AC that, that could use that camera. So they were very supportive of, you know, somewhat ambitious endeavors. Um, but even prior to FreeWater Productions, I, I did a ton of videos in, in high school as well. So just picking up a camera and doing. I actually wish I had done more, more than the two or three films I did during college.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. So Duke is, they had great resources for you then. That's, that's lovely. Um,
1: yeah.
0: So kind of referencing back to that letter that you got from Lucasfilm, so they went ahead and gave you, you know, their own great advice, and now here you have the opportunity to kind of do the same for people out there who are going into the field um, as someone who's made it in the industry. So, what would you tell upcoming high school graduates who are interested in this field to look for in a school?
1: Great question. Um, I think you know, talk. There's nothing like talking to people. So, if you have a chance to meet people that are doing what you want to do at the school. Um, Talk to them, uh, talk to those students, ask what their experience is like. Uh, Hopefully you can meet some like-minded people and some kindred spirits, and they'll, they'll be honest with you about their experience. And then try to meet some of the professors as well. I mean, you'd think that most teachers would be willing to meet prospective students. And hopefully that's the case, that you could get onto an email or at least a Zoom, say, hey, can I, have 30 minutes of your time. I'm thinking of attending the school and I'd, I'd love to hear more about the program. Uh, so do as much research as you can would be would be my advice.
0: Okay, gotcha. And then to kind of backpack onto that, would you, uh, or piggyback on that, would you recommend any sort of extracurriculars, joining any clubs or like, I guess something like you did, which would be like joining a student production company, anything further?
1: So I think, I mean, it's, you, you, you asked kind of what advice I would give other than, other than, you know, find a school that's going to help you. Yeah. Uh, I think that also there's just a willingness to get your hands dirty, to take any entry level job in the film industry and to meet other people that are working, uh, and, and it's their livelihood or it's part of their livelihood. I think Violet, you know, you know, I I introduced you to someone that I was able to hire on a, on a production for a real effects Netflix series. And, uh, she was just relentless in trying to get an opportunity. Relentless, you know, she, but, but, but in a very respectful way. So I think that's critical. It's like, you know, don't, if you meet somebody that's in a position to help you or to give you a job opportunity, you know, don't email them every day, but Don't give up either. I think I would rather be bugged by someone respectfully than have someone email me once or twice and then never follow up because they think that I can't help, um, there's a tremendous deluge of emails and calls and texts, and there's just a lot to sift through. So I think that the more you're in the business, the more that you see the something that's called the, the long game and really can look towards how can I find a way to work with someone in the next six to 12 months, right? Or even after graduation and just planting seeds, planting breadcrumbs and slowly developing relationships um, is is something that has to be learned. And it's pretty, there's uh, the film business and the media business is just so relationship driven. A lot of it is, it just takes time. And uh, uh, a lot of it starts with, being an assistant or being a coordinator or being a PA and as much as that is kind of eating humble pie and you know really serving other people it is just essential and I think it can also be a heck of a lot of fun too and it's I I loved it I mean I look back super fondly on the years when I was an assistant coordinator it was great great pleasure
0: Yeah, absolutely. Playing the long game and definitely nurturing and continuing to nurture those relationships. That's a great takeaway. So um, moving on a little bit from that. So you have a little bit of experience with everything. So let's start with your shorts. So you worked on something called Search in 2003 as a director and a producer. Um, So tell me, how did you get started with that? A blast from the past. Uh, God. Sorry, I'm up drunk. Keep it
1: peachy. Um, 19 that, so search was actually made earlier than that. I think that that's when someone put it on IMDB as the date that it was made, but search was actually made in 1998. Uh, and that was the first film that was my first quote unquote professional production short film that I did. That was the 35 millimeter film that I did in Chicago. Uh, so you know, the intent there was to raise some money and hire a crew that had worked on feature films, a crew that could really help me execute a vision. And, uh, and so that was, that was, that was the goal for that one.
0: Yeah. Sure. So what is it that? that's a perfect segue into my next question. So what is it that you look for when you're recruiting talent and what is it that you look for when you're recruiting, like, I guess, tech and onset crews and things like that?
1: attitude you know is everything and you know and that may sound like a trite statement or a platitude i actually have it on a on a engraved on a fake rock around here somewhere my uncle my father's brother had it on his desk for many years it's attitude is everything but it's so true you know um especially in a business that's so relationship driven uh so a lot of it is just that spark that energy that charisma that that uh zest um for the joy of collaborating together you know i mean i have great respect for writers of novels and even obviously for screenplays as well but writing is very solitary right uh that is not the film industry and i i i had i had been warned that (laughs) and it is true it is not a solitary profession so i look i look for willingness to collaborate a willingness to, um, be flexible, um, to, uh, I also look for willingness in people that, that to challenge others in a respectful way, to really set a high standard. So a lot of the people that I work with are, um, I try to find the best people, you know, that, that are the best at what they do. And that want to push boundaries uh, in our industry and really try to cha- shake things up. And so there's a chemistry involved to that as far as getting like-minded people that really come together and want to um, do something new.
0: Sure, sure. So speaking of um, collaborating, so as a producer, part of what you do is, you know, you hire staff and you keep collaborations between all departments running smoothly. So what would you say your biggest obstacles were?
1: On which project or just in general?
0: Um, in general.
1: My biggest obstacles... Uh, I think that is less kind of our industry specific and more just business in general or organizations in general. You know, I think that uh, getting people to work well together is uh, it's more a, an art than a science and uh, it can be a lot of fun. So you're asking me how I overcome roadblocks. I think that a lot of it is reading the room. And by that, I mean, know your audience and everyone is coming at usually a situation from a different perspective. And so you really have to put yourself in the other person's shoes. A phrase that I heard a lot when I was working at Lucasfilm, because it was amazing, I had the opportunity to work there 20 some odd years after I got that letter from them. But it was, you know, channel the inner you know, fill in the blank. So if you're trying to figure out how to make a presentation to someone or to figure out how to get a corporate executive or a filmmaker to get on board with the project, don't just take it from your own angle, ask yourself what, what's on their mind. Like what, cause they're often not, they're not in your position. They have a different position than you. They have a different directives than you. So you really have to kind of put yourself in other people's shoes. Um, I think that's probably the, the thing that helps the most in trying to help facilitate uh, organizations.
0: Okay, sure. So it goes both ways then. So one definitely feeds into the other. Um, yeah. So transitioning away from live action, you're well known for your work in animation too, and I noticed that you took courses with ILM. So for our listeners who don't know, ILM stands for Industrial Light and Magic and that's essentially Lucasfilms Visual Effects and Animation Studio, and they worked on a lot of popular pieces, like, you know, obviously Star Wars, Avengers, Transformers. How would you say those courses and the experiences follow you even into your work today?
1: A great question. I mean, those were actually technical kind of software courses, even though I was not a digital artist at ILM. I was on kind of a business development and producing side, Uh, but they have a wonderful kind of online education system there uh, that was open to everyone that works at the company. And I was just curious about certain aspects. And because I was, you know, working with digital artists, I wanted to, like I was just talking about, put myself in their shoes. So I wanted to understand more uh, kind of the the innards of their day-to-day experience of these uh, systems and programs that we were talking about so much. Um, so I think that the way that's carried forward is, it's giving me more relatability to digital artists. I think there, there may be a lot of producers that don't think about things from the perspective of the on the box artist. Um, not, not because there's any ill intent, just because they've never done it before. Uh, but my first experience as a filmmaker was working with digital software. It was kind of teaching myself. Adobe Premiere back in 1994, 95, like I said, when I was a freshman in high school, when the first nonlinear editing systems became available, kind of consumer systems, and so, and obviously I used editing software in college as well to edit the films that I worked on. Um, So I think that these online courses just help you, they can either help you relate to the person that's doing the role. Or if it's your specific role, they're actually teaching you something that you need for for the job. Uh, So, you know, I I encourage anyone that's at a company that has these online courses available, look into them, check them out.
0: Yeah, sure. It sounds like it definitely helps you um, become a better, well-rounded person. So you also have a big focus on real-time animation. And again, just to quickly break down for the audience, real-time animation is a newer process of using a motion capture system to sort of puppet a 3D character live and in real time. And you're known for using it on things like Supergiant Robot Brothers. Listeners, if that piques your interest, you can find a more in-depth behind the scenes video on YouTube. Um, would you say that real-time animation is setting a new standard in the industry? And if it is, then why?
1: I think that um, technology evolves, hopefully, to serve again to serve the artist, to serve the filmmaker, if it's a filmmaker, but to serve storytelling. And these real-time animation tools, a lot of it is driven by uh, rapidity of iteration and the and reducing the iteration cycles. So you get feedback faster. I think that's a big, big piece to this. You know. The, the graphics processors, the CPUs, the systems in general, let you see what you're creating more quickly. And so there are new workflows that leverage that more. And there's workflows that don't. So there's kind of a filmmaking mindset that a filmmaker has to apply to the software that's now available. And that's kind of what, in the case of real-time animation, that's doing. Um, I know a filmmaker, Mark Andrews, he probably would have You probably could get him to interview for your series. He got an Academy Award for uh, Brave at Pixar. Um, But he's been a big advocate of real-time animation for a long time. He was the supervising director on that Netflix real effects series I mentioned. And he has this great phrase, which real-time animation lets him fail faster. And it lets him um, kind of create at the speed of thought so these this is two things that's been difficult in animation for a long time because traditional animation can be a very slow and laborious process um and there's awesome great fantastic you know tons of wonderful movies that have been made that way but if you're filmmaking or on a filmmaking team that wants to move faster then real-time animation can kind of help you get to animatic edits more quickly can help you get to seeing if your story is working more quickly in a host of ways. Everything, just the renders can be faster too. You can get it to 3D virtual camera more quickly, um, et cetera. So yeah, there's there's a lot, lot to unpack there.
0: Sure. So it's definitely helping to streamline the process, you could say, and definitely helping to create a richer story with that. So last but not least, then, to go ahead and sort of close out, what are your biggest tips to those who are building like a reel or a portfolio?
1: Have fun. I mean, I I think that don't second guess your own creative interests and values. Don't sell yourself out because you think you have to create a certain look or achieve a certain style to get approval or accolades from those in authority. I think that if I, if, that's what I would have told myself, if, if I could have pulled myself, myself aside, you know, when I was in college, I think that it's easy to get caught up in playing the game and in trying to, um, make sure you read all the right books and, you know, d- done everything you should for your portfolio, et cetera. But I think if you can just keep returning to your own creative center and keep, you know, find a stillness inside and really pay attention to what lights you up and what gives you sparks of creative joy, that's the flame that should be nurtured above all and uh, all that you do in every facet of your work and life.
0: Sure. Those are definitely valuable words and ones that I will certainly take with me um, throughout the rest of my journey So, alrighty. Thank you so much. And once again, that is all the time we have for today, folks. A massive thank you to Paul for joining us. Remember to go ahead and check out his work on Supergiant Robot Brothers. You can find it on Netflix, created by Real Effects, who also did The Book of Life and the Scooby-Doo animated movie. For more info, go to kpcradio.com. Coming up in my next show, we'll be looking into the world of graphic artistry with NBC and Universal artist Harry Sherman. Thank you all for listening. I'm Violet Garcia, and this is Quiet on Set.